0: engaging sermons on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. A reading from the book of the prophet Jeremiah. In those days, the princes said to the king, Jeremiah ought to be put to death. He is demoralizing the soldiers who are left in this city and all the people by speaking such things to them. He is not interested in the welfare of our people, but in their ruin. King Zedekiah answered, He is in your power. For the king could do nothing with them. And so they took Jeremiah and threw him into the cistern of Prince Malchiah, which was in the quarters of the guard letting him down with ropes. There was no water in the cistern, only mud. And Jeremiah sank into the mud. Ebed-Melech, a court official, went there from the palace and said to him, My lord king, these men have been at fault in all they have done to the prophet Jeremiah, casting him into the cistern. He will die of famine on the spot, for there is no more food in the city. Then the king ordered Ebed-Melech the Cushite to take three men along with him and draw the prophet Jeremiah out of the cistern before he should die. The word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God.
0: Lord, come to my aid. Lord, come to my aid. I have waited, waited for the Lord, and he stooped toward me. Lord, come to my aid. The Lord heard my cry. He drew me out of the pit of destruction, out of the mud of the swamp. He set my feet upon a crag. He made firm my steps. Lord, come to my aid. And he put a new song into my mouth, a hymn to our God. Many shall look on in awe and trust in the Lord. Lord, come to my aid. Though I am afflicted and poor, yet the Lord thinks of me. You are my help and my deliverer. O my God, hold not back. Lord, come to my aid. A reading from the letter to the Hebrews. Brothers and sisters, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us rid ourselves of every burden and sin that clings to us, and persevere in running the race that lies before us, While keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the leader and perfecter of our faith. For the sake of the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider how he endured such opposition from sinners, in order that you may not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. The Word of the Lord.
1: Thanks Thanks be to God. God. sent us his son, Jesus Christ. Alleluia,
0: Reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory,
1: Glory to, you, to you, O Lord. Lord.
0: Jesus said to his disciples, I have come to set the earth on fire, and how I wish it were already blazing. There is a baptism with which I must be baptized, and how great is my anguish until it is accomplished. Do you think I have come to establish peace on the earth? No. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. And so today we come to a point that is so important to understand. God, who unites his people, God, who is the one who brings all to himself in the cross and in the blood of Christ, unites us as the body of Christ, makes us branches On the living vine who is Christ makes us stones united in the living temple of his body. This God who unites also divides. God is the great divider, brothers and sisters. We see it from the beginning to the end of scripture and we see it in the readings today. And it's so important that we understand what the divine division is about. We can understand it, first of all, by realizing that when we say unity, it's not something superficial, it's something deep. Unity is an aspect of union. You might say it is a derivative of union, the underlying reality is not unity. It's union, union with somebody, union with Almighty God. We are either united to Him or we're not. We're either friends with Him or we are still at enmity with Him. And Scripture tells us we were at enmity with Him because remember, we were alienated from God by the original sin. And then we compounded that with our own sins. God did not want to leave us in a state of alienation, and that's why He sent Christ. When I am lifted up from the earth, Jesus said, I will draw all people to Myself. Now, if He's drawing us all to Himself, then He's drawing us to each other. That's why we say we are brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why we can say, Our Father, as we will say later in the Mass. Unity comes about because of union. We're united with The true God. We're united with the light of the world. We're united with the truth that Christ preaches. We're united with Him. Now, if we're united with Him, that means we are divided from what is not Him. We are divided from what opposes Him. We are divided from evil because we are united with the infinite good. We are divided from falsehood because we are united with the fullness of truth. We are divided from hatred because we are united with the infinite love. We are divided from the powers of death because we are united with the one who said, I am the life. We are united with God, which means we're divided from Satan. We're united with him. It's union that brings about unity. It's the fact that we're united with God that then unites us to one another. If we try to create unity with one another and Forget about the union with God. It's not going to work. We're going to embarrass ourselves like they did at the beginning of human history in the book of Genesis. Let's build a tower reaching up to the heavens. Let's all get together and do it. Let's all get together and do it. They didn't succeed too well because they didn't have the union with God first and foremost on their minds and in their hearts. Brothers and sisters, being in union with God means being in union with His love, His truth. It means we accept certain things as true and reject other things. It means being in union with His will. So we do His will. We live a certain way of life, and that certain way of life rejects evil and embraces good. And evil and good are not just things, that we labels that we slap on whatever in the world we want to do. There's an objective evil, there's an objective good, there are objective ways that we have to live. At the beginning of Christianity, one of the earliest writings outside of the Bible itself is the didache. It's a Greek word for teaching. That's where you get the word didactic in English. The didache... The Teaching of the Twelve Apostles is the name of this book, and it begins by saying, there is a way of life and a way of death, and great is the difference between the two. Christianity was originally called the way. You see this in the Acts of the Apostles, because it's a way of life, because we're in union with God. God is truth. We are truthful. God is life. We defend life. God is just. We do justice. God loves the poor. Therefore, we care for the poor. Our way of life is determined by who God is. The commandments are not arbitrary. They're based in the very nature of God and therefore the very nature of human beings who are created according to the word of God. So great is the difference between the way of life and the way of death. Of course Christianity is the way of life. It goes back to Deuteronomy. God again shows a division. I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life then that you and your descendants may live. Choose the way of life, the way of keeping the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. This will bring you blessings. You see, he says, choose life or death, blessings or curses. If you choose life, you get the blessings. You can choose which way you want to go, life or death, but you can't choose what those consequences are going to be. You choose life, the consequences are always going to be blessings. You choose death, the consequences are always going to be curses. You don't get to choose the consequences. You get to choose the way. There's always a division between light and darkness. In the very beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, we read in the very first verses of the Bible, He separated them. He separated the light from the darkness. He separated the waters above the heavens from the waters below. He separated the night from the day. God is in the business of separating. The prophet Elijah said to the people, stop straddling the fence. Stop trying to hold two opinions at the same time. He called together the prophets of Baal, who were the false gods. He called together the prophets of the true God, Yahweh. And he says to the people, whom are you going to choose? If the Lord is God, then serve him. And abandon the practices of the false gods, which, by the way, included child sacrifice, which is exactly what abortion is today. That's why you can't be a pro-choice Catholic. Mr. Biden, pay attention. Pelosi, pay attention. And everybody who thinks that there's room in the Catholic way of life or in the Christian way of life for the single slightest toleration of baby killing, there isn't. There's a way of life and a way of death. You can't walk both paths at the same time. And so Elijah said, stop straddling the fence. Stop trying to have it both ways. If the Lord is God, then choose him. If Baal is God, well, then choose him. But be consistent. And there's a separation all the way to the end of time. Because as the Gospel of Matthew tells us in chapter 25, at the end of time, the judge will sit upon his throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them. The judgment is a separation. This is why Jesus is saying, I have come for division." Now he's not talking about the division that would, would result for example from prejudice or, or the kind of racism that the left is imposing on our children when they're teaching critical race theory, they're teaching us that our nation is racist. It isn't. They're teaching us that we are automatically oppressors because we are white. No, we're not. It teaches us that, that this division is inherent, whether we like it or not. No, it isn't. This is teaching racism. Critical race theory is teaching racism. It's teaching hatred and division. It's imposing a division that doesn't need to be there. But there's certain kinds of division that do need to be there. And again, it goes back to, well, it goes back to what Jesus is saying here. I have come to set the earth on fire. It's the fire of his love. It's the fire of his truth. It's the fire of his sacrifice. You know, in the Old Testament, the sacrifices, many of them, they were all different kinds, were were consumed by fire. And when the prophet Elijah, in fact, did what I just was reminding you about, he called down the fire of God to show that who was the true God. The false prophets couldn't call down fire at all. Jesus brings, in fact, Jesus is, The fire, the Holy Spirit, came in tongues of fire at Pentecost. And just as the sacrifices of the Old Testament were consumed by fire, so we read that Jesus offered himself, we read this in the letter of the Hebrews, he offered himself as a living sacrifice in and by the Holy Spirit. That's the fire that consumed the offering of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's the fire that will consume the offering we will give here at the altar in a few moments in this Eucharist. It's the fire of the Holy Spirit whom we invoke on the bread and wine. This is the fire of love, the fire of truth. And this is the one who brings unity because he brings union. The sacrifice of Christ unites us with him. When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. But fire burns away. What is not supposed to be there, fire purifies, right? It leaves us with the refined silver or gold or whatever kind of metals we are refining in the fire and burns away the useless stuff. Isn't this what Jesus tells us? Isn't this what John tells us? Let me go to a few, John the Baptist, let me go to a few passages here, you'll remember when John uh, was introducing Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world he says his winnowing fan is in his hand now winnowing when the grain was brought in because this this example of separating the good grain from the chaff is used by John the Baptist is used by Jesus in some of his parables What this means is when the grain is collected, you've got the good edible grain and then you've got the chaff. You've got husks and you've got inedible uh, straw and um, uh, the the, uh, uh, scaly stuff that has to be separated if you're going to enjoy the grain and be able to uh, cook it and eat it. So what happened was that the sheaves would be brought in and laid out on the threshing floor. And they would have to be, either, they would have to be manually um, uh, hit so that you could separate the good from the bad. Sometimes the oxen would be made to tread over it. So on the threshing floor this separation would happen and, and then the winnowing fork would come. And, and, and you, would take, you would take the winnowing fork, you would take the, this, this combination of uh, grain and chaff and lift it up with the fork, throw it into the air. The wind would blow away the useless stuff, the chaff, it would blow it away and the good grain would drop to the ground and then be gathered together. Separation. Division. His winnowing fan is in his hand. Of course, because he is the light of the world. Come to drive out darkness. He is love. Come to drive out hatred. He is truth. Come to drive out falsehood. He is life. Come to drive away the power of death. Jesus gives the parable in Matthew 13, a series of parables. Remember the parable of the dragnet? The kingdom of God is like a net cast into the sea. It brings in all kinds of stuff. And then the workers have to separate the good fish from the bad. The weeds in the wheat, another parable. The weeds will be gathered, separated, gathered, and burned. I'm going to go to one more page here. Psalm number one. But burned, the chaff will be burned in unquenchable fire. The first psalm. Remember I told you about the decay. how that begins. Listen to the Psalm 1. Blessed the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, or stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but delights in the law of the Lord, and meditates on His law day and night. Whatever He does prospers. Not so the wicked, not so they, are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous is there a separation there is there a division is it a good division is it a necessary division we have to stop being afraid or worried about the fact that there's division what we have to be worried about is: are we on the right side of that division letter to the Hebrews today is very very strong about how we have to separate ourselves from sin. It even says you've got to go to the point of shedding blood, not somebody else's blood, but your own. Your efforts are so strong to get rid of sin. Let us rid ourselves of every burden of sin that clings to us. It's a clinging, but there has to be a separation. And this is why we end up with what happened to Jeremiah here in the first reading. I often think of this passage, say, well, you want know, to know what the reward is for preaching the Word of God? and being faithful. Here's the reward of the prophet. Jeremiah sank into the mud. Because he was preaching that because the people were sacrificing their children in the fire to demons, precursor of abortion, that God was going to come in and destroy the land. He was going to take them into exile, which is what happened. So Jeremiah said, you know, the Babylonians are coming. Don't even fight against them, because the problem you're facing is not a military one, it's not even a political one, it's a moral one. You violated the covenant. So don't even fight against the Babylonians. And so people were concluding, well, Jeremiah, he's with the Babylonians. He's a traitor. Jeremiah was not a traitor, he was a prophet. He was speaking the word and the will of the Lord. But... There was a division over him, just as there was a division over Jesus. The light came into the world. John's Gospel tells us some preferred darkness instead. I've gone on with these various examples from the Word of God from beginning to end to show you, brothers and sisters, what Jesus means when he says, I have come for division. You and I must never be deterred by those who will complain to us that we're being divisive. Now, don't be sowing hatred, prejudice, and unnecessary division. But when you sow the truth, know that there will be divisiveness. The truth is controversial. The gospel is divisive. And my goodness, I keep hearing more and more and more, and I know that you do too, from religious leaders who the only thing they seem to be able to say is that we have to rise above the fray, and we have to be nice and kind and charitable. Well, first of all, excuse me, but we are charitable when we're speaking the truth. That's why we're speaking it, because we love the people to whom we're speaking. If we didn't love them, we would leave them alone and let their errors and their sins destroy them. But you get this message nowadays from religious leaders that the number one commandment, instead of loving the Lord your God is don't be divisive. Enough of this already, enough. Oh, we have to rise above the fray. No, we don't. We have to be in the fray. Oh, we have to rise above divisive this. No, we don't. We have to be on the right side of the division, and we have to gather everybody else with us. And those that don't want to come, well, the division is their fault, not ours. The division, in as much... As it's a bad thing to sow division, is that Christ's fault? That he, the light, came into the world and some preferred darkness? Is it his fault that some preferred darkness and ended up crucifying him? Is it our fault that some prefer darkness? Uh, we're causing division. Why? Because somebody else is rejecting the truth? I don't think so. And that certainly not going to stop me from speaking that truth nor should it stop you it cannot stop you brothers and sisters and I'm talking about division clear across the spectrum because the truth of Christ also shapes the world of politics And my goodness, people who tell us, oh, well, you can't be divisive politically. Why not when there are people who hate our country, who want to indoctrinate our children, who want to destroy our borders, who want to destroy our economy, who want to embarrass America on the world stage and give preference to China over America, who want to do all these different things to us, why on earth is it a bad thing that we stand on the right side of the division? Stop this nonsense about, oh, well, well, the only thing we have to do, you know, we have to be above all of this. No, we're not above all of this. We're in all of this. These political divisions are happening for a reason. There's a reason why there are people in power who hate our country. And there's a reason why they're more furious and destructive than ever before. Because we're standing up and fighting for what we believe in, fighting for religious freedom, fighting for the unborn, making progress, and that's getting them mad. So what do you do when the other side is getting mad and they're becoming more divisive and passions are rising and flaring up and divisions are all on full display? You don't back away from the battle. That's the worst thing to do. That's the worst thing to do at that moment. They hate America, they hate God, they hate freedom, they hate truth. They hate life. What are you supposed to do? Oh, I'm not going to be above all this. Stand up with truth in your mouth, on your lips, with fire in your heart and proclaim that truth louder than ever before. Oh, and it's going to cause more division, Father Frank. You said it. That's right. So be it. The division is eternal. Heaven and hell. There's a division. Enough of being intimidated by this nonsense. Oh, no, we're not supposed to cause any division. We're not supposed to make anybody angry. Enough of this once and for all. Enough. Jesus Christ has said it clearly in today's gospel. Let's say it too. We have come for division. Because we stand with truth, because we stand with life, because we stand with love, because we stand on the side of heaven and of God, not of hell and of Satan. Long live the division. Long live the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. May He reign. May He rule. May He govern. And may He unite us with Himself. Because unity is not some kind of superficial abandonment of the struggle. It is union with the One who said, I am the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. And I will be with you, and you will be with me, and we will be together as the body of Christ. Not the body of Satan. The body of Christ forever and ever. Amen.